0: For those of you that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Ralph Mayhew, and today is a significant day for me. Hopefully it is for all of us, but particularly for me today. Today signifies 20 years of ordained ministry. So so on the Wednesday, not the 20th of December, what day are we now? 11th? 11th of December, 2002, in Melton Uniting Church, I was ordained. First place in Seymour, where I was there for five years. Then yeah, That's in Victoria. Then went to New Life, which is just down the road, in Rabina. I was there for nine years. Then we did Village Church here for five years. And then mixed in with that, was Burley Hedge United Church for two years. And here we are today at Burley Village United Church. So you want to hear some stats mm-hmm. over 20 years? It should be fun. I've preached 1,126 Sunday sermons. I've actually written that many. I've probably preached a couple more because you double up from time to time. 1,126. That equates to a total time of 39,410 minutes or 657 hours of constantly hearing me talk. Wow. An estimated total word count is just shy of 4 million. I never thought I'd be ever capable of speaking four million words ever, but that's what does that say? 200 funerals, 100 weddings, 30 baptisms, hundreds of hospital visits, 11,520 pastoral cups of coffee, and 7 cups of tea, and nearly 2,000 church meetings. And today, again, I have the wonderful privilege to preach about Jesus, which I'm very excited about. So to do that, I want to talk to you about a hobby, a thing that I do, which is photography. I love taking photos. And my goal is to be one of the best photographers I possibly can be. And a friend came to me once and said, can you take a photo of our family? This is not their family. <laughs> can you take a photo of our family? No, they said, no, sorry, they said, do you know anyone that can take a photo of our family? And I said, yes, <laughs> here I am. I can take a photo of your family. And they said, No, 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 we mean a good photographer. (laughs) And I did this look, the wide-eyed one, like, I can't believe you just said that. And they go, oh, no, 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 you know what I mean. (laughs) No, 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 still not quite sure. They said, no, no, like a a photographer we can trust to do a good job. Like, guys, this is getting worse. Just pull up stunts right now. And they said, no, no, what what we really want is a photographer that can make the background blurry. It's like, oh. That's very difficult. I know someone I can refer to you. Now, just between us, every photographer that's ever picked up a camera can make the background blurry like that. But we moved, we moved on. You ever have a similar situation? Where, where you feel almost offended, where your insecurities rise up because people don't see you the way you see yourself. I'm better than that. Surely you see that about me. Well, that's what King Herod experienced. He's enraged. The Magi turn up and they ask him, Do you know where the king's been born? We want to go see him. We've got some special gifts. Herod is the king. They go to the king and they say, Can we see the real deal? You see the real guy? The guy that everyone's been talking about? So he summons his scholars, those poor scholars. They must have been terrified. Herod had a really bad reputation. He was ruthless, he was violent, he was horrific. He often killed people in his own court and his own family if he felt his absolute power was being threatened. It's the kind of character that Herod was. So he summons his scholars and asks them what's going on. And with fear and trepidation, I reckon they wish they weren't on the schedule that day, they said, there's this king of the Jews, it's going to be born down in Bethlehem. And Herod then says to his guests, the Magi, he says, well, go find him. When you find him, I'd love to come and pay homage to him and revere him and honor him as king. So can you come back and tell me exactly where he is? That would be just wonderful. So the Magi go. They know what Herod's up to. So they return home a different route. And Herod initiates a scorched earth policy. He slaughters all the children in the Bethlehem region under the age of two. 20 to 30 children, that would have been. Outrageous. What's worse though, is history doesn't give it the gravity because that was paled into insignificance based on the other horosity, horrific things that Herod did. Herod was, he was evil. We look at Herod and we go, that, that is evil personified. How dare he? But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that the source of the world's evil is held in the human heart. Single human heart. Every single human heart. It's as likely that we would be Herod in that position. It's probably more likely that we would be like Herod rather than not like Herod. It's how much, our evil our hearts can be. So, Mary and Joseph. They get word from God and they flee south to a place called Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt and there is a Jewish community that have gathered there because they are outraged of the rule of of Herod. But They can't live in the country, so they leave the country. So Jesus finds himself as a refugee from genocide. So let's jump back to Herod. When you became king, your greatest fear is that someone else would come along and want to be king. And that's why you lived with such insecurity. Because if the people liked this new king better, you stopped being king and started being dead. It wasn't good news if you were a king. So you went to eliminate all possible and potential threats. There's only one person you see that can sit on the throne and they, they, didn't, they didn't like sharing thrones. They didn't like doing the Herod, uh, Jesus, come up here and sit on my lap and we can both be king together. Or let's have just a sitting policy, a roster, where you can be king this week and I'll be king. Herod was having none of it. He was king, almighty. One throne, one king. And Jesus comes to claim the throne as a baby. The scribes, when they were talking to Herod, they would have cited, they would have blamed Samuel. They wouldn't have taken it on themselves. They would have said, we're not sure what's happening. But Samuel, he says this, I will raise up your offspring and succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. They're talking about Jesus. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. A challenger to Herod steps into the ring. Herod, were one of the most powerful human beings on the face of the planet. If we fast forward about 30 years, we hear this challenger who was born a baby, but now is a man who is called Jesus. He says this to his followers. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother or wife or children or brothers or sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple." That's Jesus saying these words but it isn't a request that we hate our family in order to follow him. That's not what Jesus is doing. He is calling for absolute allegiance, absolute loyalty that every other commitment in your life pales in significance to your commitment to the Lord. That's what Jesus is asking from people. Now I don't know about you but even today as I read those words There is a a reaction of rebellion in my heart. Ah, that's hard. That's tough. That's a cost. Are you serious, Jesus? Did you really mean that my heart seeks to betray what my will desires? The allegiance that Jesus calls us all to, it triggers a resilience. It triggers a rebellion in us. We want to move the other direction. Inside your heart, inside my heart, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, there is this attitude that dwells that says, no one tells me what to do. Show of hands who holds that attitude. Oh, I'm impressed. Me too, good. because so it's, it's hard, right, to face that. I don't, I don't want to be that person. No one tells me what to do. God included, no one tells me what to do. That's a terrible sound word, isn't it, for a preacher? Don't, don't just take that bit away from today. We don't want people to know this about us. We should actually be scared about it because the same attitude that lives in our hearts lived in Herod's heart. And look what happened there. We should be fearful that we have the same potential. Herod is a powerful and obvious example of you and I. In every human heart, there is a King Herod who says, I don't want you to serve me. I don't want to serve you. I want you to serve me. Do not tell me what to do. And it lives in all of us. Every single human ever. And that human heart gets threatened when anything opposes that rule. When anything comes close. When there's a sniff of anything else. So if you ever find yourself thinking, I will just follow my heart. Abort. Terrible, terrible idea. Follow Jesus. Do not follow your heart. Your heart will always betray you. Anyone watch The Office? The American Office. I love this show. This is Michael. Michael is the boss, and it's a mockumentary. So it's like a documentary, but it's, it's all, like, acting. So it's all made up. And Michael thinks he is convinced that he is the world's best boss. And in this little shot where they're interviewing Michael, and they're saying, you know, how do you find it being the boss of these people? He is talking himself up. He's like, I have the best sense of humor. I always make the office laugh, roll around on the floor. They love me. They, They treat me like I'm their best friend. That's how good a boss I am. And then he reflects. He looks at the mug and he says, And that's why I bought this mug. To help remind everybody that I'm the world's best boss. It was the little Herod inside him that whispered, You need to buy the mug. We want to be the center. Of our existence, we each do, and our heart rebels against anyone or anything that seeks to occupy that space. Like a baby, born as a king, who would define the world by those who are loyal to him and those who are against him. Paul is trying to help us understand this. He says in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who truly seeks God. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. And no heart, unaided, can gladly surrender to God, which Herod exemplifies. Herod's violence, his lust for power, is merely a reflection of what's in us. We're no different. As evil as we deem Herod to be, when we're honest about it, we go, the same evil can live and express itself in me the gospel writer actually uses Herod to help us see ourselves in the story of Jesus. But we will often oppose ourselves to Christ. Our flesh does not want God to have a say in our lives. So if you've ever struggled with that, it means you are human. Welcome to the club. We feel bad about it, though. We don't want anyone else to know. And so we mask it by making up Christ-like Versions of God. They're much easier to follow than Christ. But we create them because we go, well, look, I'm a good Christian. Look, this is the place of God in my life. And we do that because it's so hard for our hearts to submit to Christ because we so desperately want to remain in control of our lives. No heart unaided can gladly surrender to God without the Holy Spirit. Supernaturally changing our hearts in order that we might seek God. Unless God does that through the power of His Holy Spirit, we will forever live pursuing these fake gods, these forfeit gods, and living under them comfortably and missing out on the salvation Jesus has for us. Which is why we must continually seek the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Shake me. Meet me and meet those who are far from you meet those who don't know your love for them meet them and work in them work in this world Holy Spirit that we may know and experience the totality of your love for us because that can can, that can't leave you unchanged that's why we must read the word of God for what it says and wrestle with it rather than oh that one's hard let's move to something more palatable these Christ-like saviors They assist the Herod in our heart. See, Herod beckons us. He says, come follow me. Toward comfort and consumerism and power and status and lifestyle and control and ego and safety. Herod says, follow me. And he misdirects us away from Jesus. We think we're following Jesus, but we're following a Christ-like. And we end up in a place where Jesus isn't. What have I missed? That's what the Magi encountered. While Herod was reigning, a different king entered the world, and this king was a Nazarene. And Nazareth has about the worst reputation a place can possibly get. It would be called the armpit of Israel. Quote, Armatthew. Nazareth was, no no good came out of Nazareth. In fact when the disciples had met Jesus and they were telling other people, they said, you've got to come meet this guy, Jesus. Where's he from? He's from Nazareth. I quote, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth was not the place that you like to come from. Now, I grew up in a town called Melton. Anyone been to Melton? More than I would expect. We lived there for 20 years? Years. And just over the railway tracks was a place called... South Melton, <laughs> and everything that bad that ever happened, happened over the tracks. We had a friend who lived over the tracks, he was just hardcore, yeah, living together, this is incredible. He eventually ended up moving from South Melton to West Melton. Why? Because he used to live in South Melton, right? you get in the picture. This isn't a picture of South Melton, but it could well be. That's that's Paris. (laughs) If there was a mugging, or a bashing, or a drug overdose, or something stolen, or a car torched, it never happened in Melton. Always in South Melton. Always. Can anything good, we would say, come out of South Melton? Fun fact. Lyndall's parents now live in South Melbourne, <laughs> but they're in a nice place, aren't they? When we say you live in South Melbourne, they're like no, 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 we live in a in another suburb. Upper <laughs> class, because no one wants to live in South Melbourne. It's changed a lot in the last twenty years. It's changed a lot. The Mount of South equivalent of Israel was Nazareth, the location God chose to enter the world. That is not how a king should enter the world, is it? And it was the identity that he then wore everywhere he went. What? Jesus of Nazareth. What a king. Born in a manger. No credentials. No social status. From a downtrodden, forgotten location. No credible family history, as we talked as John talked to us about last week. To a single mother, out of wedlock, to become a refugee. That's not how you live a kingly life. But God is teaching us something. God is teaching us that salvation works differently in his kingdom than it does in Herod's kingdom. Every other religion says, summon all your strength. Put on your best behavior. Live your best life. Do as much good as you possibly can do and you can save yourself. You'll get there in the end. Jesus says something the absolute opposite. He says, if you admit how poor and weak and isolated and sick and sinful and broken hearted you are, then you can be saved. Not by what you can do, but by what I have already done. Jesus is moving in the opposite direction to where Herod tries to convince us salvation is found. Aaron says, salvation's over here, and Jesus says, "Uh, it's over here. The disciples were always asking Jesus. They were saying, when are you going to take the power that's rightfully yours? When are you going to sit on the throne, it's yours? When's all that happening? And Jesus' response was always the same. You just don't get it. I'm going to give up all of my power in order to save the world. It's insane. On the 21st of May, in 1945, In Los Alamos, Luis Slotin was carrying out an experiment that would pave the way for the atomic reaction experiments they wanted to do in the South Pacific. They were trying to measure the correct amount of uranium-235 to use in the nuclear action that might give the world its energy source from here on in. It involved bringing together two hemispheres, and merging them together at an exact right moment when the nuclear action was about to take place, they would separate these two hemispheres. They'd done repeated experiments at this. But one particular day on the 21st of May, Lewis was doing this experiment. And in the middle of it, his tool slipped and dropped to the ground. And he had a decision to make. The decision to make, as the lab was filled with a blinding, dazzling, blazing light, the decision to make was do I save myself, do I duck? But if I do that, at the very same time I do that, the seven other scientists who are in this lab are killed. But Lewis, instead of reaching for the tool, instead of ducking, he plunged his hands into these two hemispheres and he separated them. Saved everybody else. Nine days days later in hospital, he died, but those seven other scientists got to live. This is what Jesus did. He threw himself at sin to spare us from it. The little Herod says, duck, save yourself. Only love has the power to overthrow Herod. Jesus, through this incredible act of love for us, displayed on the cross, sets us free from all the things Herod leads us toward, from our insecurities and our pride and our fear and our ego. Jesus frees us from that. They will ravage us without Christ. This is the gospel. And we need to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Have you heard that phrase before? Preach the gospel. To yourselves. Don't wait for me to do a whatever job on Sunday. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because the little Herod in us will always fight for a place on the throne of our heart. Always. And only the gospel can prevent this. Jesus' arrival, his arrival is called the Uongaleon. It's the quick word. It's a good word for good news. It's where we directly get the word gospel from. It was good news that Jesus arrived. It was good news what Jesus did. The coming of Jesus, the good news, the arrival of Jesus dethrones Herod. Herod cannot reign when Jesus is around. So for Herod to remain dethroned in our lives, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And for some of you that go, yeah, okay, I'm on board. What does it mean? It's simple. We just, I together some words and the words, these words, there's nothing special about these words other than what they hold for us. But this is to preach the gospel to yourself, to remind you of this every day. I am saved only by Jesus' act of love for me. So in him I have all I need. You don't need anything else. Jesus, occupy the throne of my heart and lead me. I choose your way. My encouragement to you this morning is if you're in a dark valley and things are difficult, to preach the gospel to yourself. To allow Jesus to again dethrone the herod in your life. And for those of you today that have never made that decision, the decision to encounter the gospel, and I would just urge you with 20 years of urging and vibe of my being. Explore it. Look into it. Sit with it. Allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart. With these words, I am saved only by Jesus. Jesus, act for me. So in him I have all I need already. So Jesus occupied the throne of my heart. And lead me. For I choose your way. So Lord, we choose your way. We sit here today with such a wide variety of experiences just that have happened in this last week. Of wonderful, incredible things, of heartbreaking, devastating things. But regardless, you call us to you to know you and to cling to you, to enthrone you. And so, Lord, we do that now. We enthrone you on our lives. We watch Herod flee with all his baggage and junk. Lord, we want your life. Holy Spirit we know it's only by your power that that life is available so not only bring it to us now but bring it to us this week in this month in this year in this life we pray